Back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM. What an amazing interview we had with Sarah McDougall this morning. We're going to have to get her back again to uh, talk about some of her other yes. areas of expertise. She, she needs works. to weigh in on a few issues, I think. She, she, she does a lot of work with um, women who are victims of abuse in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and advocates on their behalf. And so, um, yeah, I would definitely like to hear what she's got to say on those subjects. And yep. um, She's a counsellor and I also found out that she does uh, counselling. She does so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, but she does counselling like um, over like a, a video call and that kind of thing. So if you're interested in receiving counselling from her, even though she's in the States, she told me she does have clients in Australia. So you know what? If you resonated with her and you need healing, you need to be heard – we would 100% support that. So at the uh, end of today, we will have all her details up on our social medias. And, uh, and yeah, get in touch, uh, search through everything she talked about. It's going to be good stuff on there. Okay, so our encounter with God, we didn't even have a uh, quiz no, to give away. Snapped up. Done, done snapped them all. Up. But all, we do. Y'all missed out. Should have, should have changed well, it earlier. You know what? They don't have to miss out because we do have another giveaway. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. We do. Yeah, we have 100 copies of Nature's Superfoods. Um, you can check this out. I actually posted up a picture of it last night uh, to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can see uh, uh, Nature's Superfoods, Simply Natural, Super Healthy. And there are 100 copies of this available to the first 100 subscribers to our new YouTube channel. Head to YouTube, search for Faith FM Australia, subscribe, and we'll get in touch with you with a free book. All the details right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so today's encounter with God actually harks back to a story that we studied in the book of Acts a little while ago, oh. where Paul got himself in trouble. He did. He did. Do you remember when Paul got himself in trouble? Ah, uh, was it when he went to the temple mm-hmm. with the? They, they assumed that they he assumed. was a Gentile. Yes, and uh, even though he was no longer um, subscribing to the practices at the temple, he sort of went anyway, and then to take a Nazarite vow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then and then it all went belly up from there. And and what was the problem with the Gentile going in there? Well, I mean, Gentiles aren't allowed to go inside the temple in the in the was it the holy place? Somewhere. Yeah, the holy place. He went into like a, a, a curtained off section. Well, they they assumed Zoomed. that he'd gone into. A, yeah, it wasn't actually a curtain; it was a wall. I meant curtained off, as in like the just how how like if I yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You off. So this is what they actually had. They had a wall in the temple. So they had um, the court of the Gentiles, and anyone, any Gentile could go into the court of the Gentiles, and a Gentile could worship there. Segregation. Ag- <sighs> yeah, absolutely. This, you, won't, you won't find this in the description that God gave for the sanctuary. Oh, really? No, 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 no. Humans, I tell you what, yeah, yeah, humans absolutely. just mess it's it like, up every salvation single time. Is ours. We're not letting anyone else have it. It's ours alone. That's disgusting. Court of the Gentiles, my foot. Okay, so they had the court of the Gentiles. Now, of course, this is where Alexander the Great worshipped. Oh, really? Yeah. You didn't know he worshipped Yahweh? I... Once. <laughs> and I bet you it was something diplomatic. Um, it was an interesting story because when Alexander the Great was invading Palestine... As you do. Because he invaded the world, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was Palestine's <coughs> turn. And yeah, it was Palestine's turn. He basically smashed every city that was allied to the Persians. You know, destroyed them. I mean, Tyre was a Persian ally, uh, which was a Phoenician city. They, um, you know, refused to break their alliance with Persia. And so he smashed that city. He destroyed the whole city. He took the whole city and threw it into the ocean. 
um, so that there was nothing left of it. Then he scraped all the dirt off the top of the city so that nothing could grow there, um, took it down to bedrock, and then spread salt all over it so that <laughs> this was just... This he was, sounds this angry. Was, this was Alexander, right? If you're going to stay allied to the Persians, you are going to get smashed. Man, he sounds like he's really, really upset about it. Absolutely. Going to quite now, Tyre, Tyre was an interesting city because they had an island that was just off the shore. And when the city itself was threatened, they would all retreat to the island. Of course, being Phoenicians and being the greatest, world's greatest seafarers, you know, they could stay supplied forever out there. Um, and, of course, he used the city to build a ramp out to the island so that he could smash the island as well. <laughs> Oh my goodness. This, this is Alexander for you, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so then the next city that is really standing in his path as he's heading towards Egypt is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was an absolute brute of a fortress. Mm-hmm. I mean, when David chose this, and you've got to remember that David was a military genius. When he chose this particular city, it wasn't, because so, uh, it wasn't so much because of its economic location. It was its strategic location. You know, this was this was a natural fortress that would just be incredibly hard to capture, even though it was captured on quite a number of occasions, but at tremendous loss of life. When the Romans captured this city, they lost the, the, the loss of life was just astronomical because it was it was so well defended. Uh, however, Alexander moved down there, and of course he was going to do with Jerusalem like he had done with Tyre. But as he was traveling south, he met with the high priest. Oh. The high priest came to meet him. And the high priest brought with him the scrolls of the prophecy of Daniel. Ooh. So let me show you this. This is in Daniel chapter Man, 8. I wish I could see these things myself. Daniel chapter 8. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you love to be a fly oh, on the wall? Oh, totally. Daniel chapter 8. There's a prophecy. And we're going to read about it here this morning. Flicking, flicking, flicking. Daniel chapter 8, the Bible talks in uh, verse 3 about a ram which has two horns and then a goat which has one horn. Um, It comes from the west. It's hardly touching the ground. It's coming so fast. This is in verse 5. Runs to the ram. Ram destroys him. He comes close to the ram. Um, You know, smashes him, stamps on him, breaks his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. And he threw the ram down to the ground and stamped on him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Okay, so that's a a symbolic prophecy. Now, of course, animals in prophecy symbolize nations. Yeah. Why don't you read for us what the angel Gabriel tells us that that ram is a symbol of in verse 20. Verse 20 says, the two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. All right. Well, what about the goat that then comes and smashes the ram? The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. So that's a fairly clear statement right there, isn't it? It's very clear. And so the high priest priest comes to Alexander and says, hey, by the way, about, uh, you know, um, four or five hundred years ago, we had this prophet who said this about you. Ooh. So Alexander was just super impressed. Yeah, you'd have my mind blown. Yeah, 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 you would. A little you bit would. flattered as well. Yeah, absolutely. So he was super impressed by this particular prophecy. And, uh, and, and so on the basis of this, he then replied to the high priest, well, you know, you need to break your alliance, obviously, with the Persians because um, your prophet 
said that the Greeks are going to conquer the world. Now, of course, you've got to remember the era in which this prophecy was written. When this prophecy was written, Greek was nothing. Greece was nothing. You know, this was this was this, you know, your five. Uh, this was six hundred A.D. Greece was nothing. It was it was disintegrated. It was small city states. They were constantly fighting each other. There was no unity. It wasn't until the time of Alexander and Alexander's father that they were ever united together. Wow. He was. They, they were the first uh, Greek uh, Macedonian kings who actually created. Um, any kind of unity in Greece, and of course, you know, uh, up up there in the north, you know, Thessalonica, those kind of areas where Alexander was coming from, that was seen as being the you know the outliers of the Greek nation, and almost barbarian Greeks in some ways. But they were able to unite the nation, and and so you know, this is a little bit like you know somebody predicting you know five hundred years from now New Zealand is going to rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody would laugh at it. And of course, everyone yeah, sorry, laughed when Daniel wrote this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we like laughing at our yeah, good on you, Kiwi, New Zealand. Kiwi friends we love across, you. The, across the ditch there. Just pipe down. <laughs> You're not taking over the world. <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen. Um, but anyway, this was, this was the equivalent of what Daniel was writing when he wrote it. And then when Alexander sees it actually coming to place, he's like, you know what? The God who inspired this prophecy is worth worshipping. So he says to the high priest, you need to break your alliance. You need to join the Greeks. So rather than being allied to the Persians, you need to be allied to the Greeks. And uh, and, and, and we'll all be good friends. Um, the Jews replied that they could not break their alliance to the Persians. Ooh. Because there was a prophecy, another prophecy in the Bible about Cyrus the Persian, who was one of the former Persian, who really founded the Persian Empire, and how God had ordained him to build the temple in Jerusalem, and God had ordained him and even called him using the word Messiah. Oh wow! He was called the Shepherd. He was called the Messiah, um, and so as a result, result of this, they had very close links with the Persians. And you remember the story of Esther and and how closely linked the Jews became as a result of that. And the story of Darius and other kings, Persian kings that had a very very close relationship with these Persian kings, and their temple existed because of what the Persian kings had done on their behalf. And so they weren't prepared to break this alliance. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. And so it's, it's no doubt with much sorrow that you know, the high priest informs Alexander, look, you're hearing our prophecies, but we, we, politically we, we, we can't break our alliance with Persia. And, and, and he's probably you know, standing there thinking, okay, this is the end of my life, the end of Jerusalem, we're going to face the same, um, the same problem that Tyre faced. We're going to get salted and thrown in the sea. Yeah, all that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's a very difficult situation. But Alexander had a different reaction. And, of course, his generals at that particular time were like, yep, okay, Jerusalem, next. Next mm-hmm, stop, mm-hmm. let's go smash this place. You know, they've, they've said no. Um, we've been polite and they've said no. Um, so now we do what we've done to every other city that was allied to Persia or was a Persian city up until this point. Just nothing nothing was standing in front of the Greeks. They they were just, you know, their phalanxes were destroying everything in their path. What's a phalanx do? <laughs> it's a military formation that um, Alexander the Great perfected. Oh, okay, good to know. Yes, and this is why he could win battles when he was outnumbered, you know, 10 or 20 to 1. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Do yeah. they still use this today? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, same theories, mm-hmm. but um, no, it's a hand-to-hand combat kind of formation. I'll have to uh, look into it and remember it for next time I'm in a 
hand-to-hand combat. (laughs) (laughs) It's based on uh, more than one person, but there's probably principles that could be transferred across. Okay, okay. Um, So what's his reaction then? If he doesn't lay siege to it, he doesn't lay waste to it. Okay, so Alexander goes down there. He goes into the city. He goes into the court of the Gentiles. And with great reverence, he worships in the temple. Wow. I'd be nervous. I'd be so nervous if I was a Jerusalemite at that point. Well, he went in there basically by himself, just with a, a couple of, um, um, you know, a small bodyguard. That was all. Wow. No great army. He did not lay siege to the city. He did not march on the city. He just, you know, a, uh, a few attendants goes down there to Jerusalem and worshipped Yahweh. Wow. This was, this was Alexander's opportunity. God, God did not leave any empire, any nation without an opportunity. This was his opportunity to come to God. And he came so close. Oh, Alexander. And then he missed it. No. He kept going to Egypt. When he went to Egypt, he went out into the desert and talked to the Oracle of Siwa. Oh, is a step and back? Just like full on spiritualism, um, mysticism, and, you know, and then decided that Yahweh was just on the same category as the Egyptian gods and the Greek gods and every other god and uh, went and did his own thing. So he shows up in Jerusalem. He was like, surrender. They're like, no, sorry. And he's like, okay. Goes yeah, and worships and then leaves. He completely lets them off the hook. Wow. He just marches straight past and leaves this Persian allied city, you know, powerful fortress right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, st- he founds the city of Alexandria in Egypt, which is still there today, one of 16 cities that he founded that he called Alexandria. <laughs> um, not much of an ego. Not that, much. Uh, no, no, not much. It's the only one that still still exists. And he made a uh, – he created a sponsorship for um, for Jewish young people to come down and study in his – it was a university city to study mm-hmm. in his universities. And that's your origin of your Sadducees. Oh, I see. Mm, that's where they came from. Mm-hmm. Bit of Greek mythology mixed in there, which is why they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. We're getting sidetracked. That was good. I love okay, the history. That wall. Yes. Had words written on it to the effect that if anyone went past that wall, they would be struck dead. Not by God, by the Jewish um, temple guard. Okay. Okay, so they would, you know, any Gentile who goes past that wall. So this was very, very exclusive. No one but a circumcised Jew could go past that wall and go into the holy place, sorry, into the courtyard of, uh, of the temple there in Jerusalem. And this is why onlookers mistook um, Paul and his Gentile. Yeah, they saw, they, Gentile they, 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 saw, they saw Paul hanging around with a Greek in the city and then they saw Paul, Paul in the temple and like, oh, Paul took the Gentile into. I mm-hmm. uh, wonder why they would have thought that Paul had taken a Gentile into. Why would they assume that Paul would take a Gentile past that wall? In, in my opinion, I reckon they were looking for something. They were looking for something they to They may start have with. also been familiar with something that Paul wrote about. Mm. And they may have yeah, been wondering. They, the they may have been wondering whether <laughs> Paul had actually acted on his words. Yep. So we were reading Ephesians yesterday. Let's read mm. some more. Okay. Where are we? Ephesians chapter two, and we'll start in verse eleven. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Okay, let's stop there, let's stop there for a moment. Let's consider what we have so far. Um, so it starts off by, just read that first couple of lines there again real quick. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Thank you. Outsiders to what? Outsiders oh. to the temple, outsiders to the grace of God. You see, Alexander worshipped in the temple as an outsider. He wasn't an insider. An insider is someone who goes inside the temple. Mm-hmm. An outsider is somebody's outside. I wonder if this is where that phrase was coined, outsiders. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Um, okay, so in verse 11, yeah, you were, you were outsiders, Gentiles in the flesh. Uh, verse 12. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were executed, sorry, excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Okay. And was this God's intention for how Israel would be? Absolutely not. No. The, the whole purpose for the nation of Israel was that the nation of Israel was to be there as a... Uh, like an outreach. Yeah, to, to reach the world. That was supposed to be a link in the chain connecting the rest of the world to God. Yeah. And they failed miserably. Yep. That's what was supposed to be happening. And uh, it wasn't happening. They, they, they'd built this wall straight down the middle of their, their temple courtyard. And you mm-hmm. go past that and we will kill you. You know, you, you receive the grace of God. Or if you try and receive the grace of God without our permission, you're dead. It's terrible. Yeah, it was a... Um, you couldn't actually get further from the opposite of what God had. You know, Jewish people are not like that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I think that's particularly because they have, you know, faced persecution themselves. Um, and, you know, they recognize that this is not a healthy thing. That, um, you know, if you go to Jerusalem today, next time you go to Jerusalem, Mon, go to the Wailing Wall um, on Friday evening when the Sabbath is coming in. It'll be my first time, but I'll, I will do that. You, you to do that, and mm-hmm. you will just be welcomed by every Jewish person there. They are celebrating, they're having fun, they are dancing in the streets, they are playing music. It's just a time of so, because the Sabbath is arriving. So I'm not going to get executed by the temple guard for walking past the wall. Not at all. Not so. Not at not whatsoever at all. So things have changed, and this is a good thing. Yes. Okay. Where are we up to? Verse uh, thirteen. 13 says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Keep going. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated Ah, us. Ah, he broke down the what? Wall of hostility. That did what? Separated us. Okay. And where was that wall? That wall was in the temple, temple courtyard. Yeah. Now he didn't. He didn't. He didn't literally break that wall down. He figuratively broke that wall mm-hmm. down. So now you can understand why the Jews were so sensitive about, you know, what was what it was that was taking place um, in the temple. You know, because Paul here is clearly referring to that wall of separation mm-hmm. that separates between Jews and Gentiles, the insiders and the outsiders. And he has written about how that Christ has broken this wall down, that there should be no such thing as insiders and outsiders. He has been proclaiming this publicly right around the world. Wherever he goes, he's been preaching this and preaching this and preaching this. And so this gives you your background because when he turns up in Jerusalem, people know what he's been preaching. 
and they don't like what he's been preaching, and they see him in the city in the company of Gentiles, and they see him in the temple past the wall, and they assume that the same pe- that if you stand for this, you actually stand for this, then you're going to make a statement, you know, uh, backing it up by actually taking Gentiles into uh, the temple courtyard where they don't belong. And so they make this big assumption like, oh, you brought Gentiles in here. But, you know, Paul wasn't trying to make unnecessary trouble. Um, he was being diplomatic. He knew the culture in which he lived and he was being respectful to the religion that he was surrounded by. And so, which we always should be. And so, um, as a result of that, he was like, yeah, you know what? Um, um, we're not going to make an issue. He didn't take any Gentiles in there. Anyway, we're going to move on. This is Josh Cunningham with Grains of Sand here on Faith FM. The morning 
Josh Cunningham with Grains of Sand here on Faith FM and we are back in the book of Ephesians talking about the wall of partition between um, yes, between uh, Jews and Gentiles that Jesus broke down um, through his blood. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 where we were 
And we were reading there in, uh, where were we, down in verse uh, 12, 13, 14, uh, or verse 13, um, but now in Jesus Christ, where, where am I? But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Yes. Once you were far away from God. I was going to say, this sounds so different from yours. I'm like, yeah. I don't even remember reading your translation. It's so <laughs> different from mine. <laughs> it is, it is. But it's interesting to note that, um, you know, unity. God had unity in mind. And when we got involved, we created disunity. We yeah. created a wall. We had a death penalty attached to it. We just, you know, in order to keep stuff separated, people separated. Like, you couldn't get, it's like black and white day to night. Like, <laughs> And we, we still can, try and do the same thing. And we still. Humans haven't changed. Humans time, haven't learned. Yeah. We get involved and disunity just ensues. <laughs> but I will say this. That Christianity and following Jesus Christ has done more to break down that wall of separation, all those walls of separation that exist than any other thing that there is, you know, in Amen. the world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the whole um, issue of racism um, has been broken down because the the breaking down of racism has been driven by Christianity. Yeah, when you really let God get involved in your heart. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna put it out there. I'm just. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna state it as it is because this is one of these areas that, as Christians, we can hold our heads high mm-hmm. and say, "Yes, you can accuse us of lots of things." You know, fair enough, whatever. Um, but this is one thing where we have contributed more to the world than any other part of society. End of story. Yeah. The whole concept of dealing with racism was driven by Christianity. Now, of course, you know, people have used Christianity at times to. Um, promote racism, but that's the minority. That's not you know. Don't don't judge the majority by the mi- by the minority. The majority of Christianity around the world is what is actually tackling this issue. You look at uh, racism in the UK. What was it that got rid of slavery in the UK? It was Christianity who drove that. Amen. You look at the same thing in the United States. What was it that got rid of Christ- what you know slavery over there? What was it that got rid of Jim Crow? What was it that you know still fights against racism? It's Christianity. Whereabouts are you going to find people, you know, hanging out together, best of friends, um, of every different nationality that you can think of, forming the greatest multicultural communities that there are in Australia? You're going to find them in churches. You know, I go down to those churches in Sydney where you can hardly find an Aussie person, and and there's you know we had that little church in Marrickville, and oh, there was the like uh, fifty people there, and amongst fifty people, there's like twenty three different languages that mm-hmm, were spoken. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody just loved hanging out, you know, coming to worship, and and uh, it, it's just amazing. You know, this is this is the this is the ultimate of multi. This is where multiculturalism actually works. Yeah, there that- are lots of places where it doesn't work, but in churches. It works, mm, that, and it works spectacularly. That little multicultural Marrickville church still remains the best church I've ever been to. has a special place in my heart. Yeah, a special place in my heart too. But anyway, um, and uh, you know, and it's, it's just one of those privileges that, that we have as Christians is that we can really see past a lot of the foolishness. You know, it was interesting because um, um, uh, Sarah McDougall was talking mm. about, you know, the percentage of people who are sociopaths in the world. Yeah, one in twenty-five. Yeah, one in twenty-five people are sociopaths. And here's what I'm. Here's, here's my thought. We meet a lot of sociopaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's part of the world in which we live. We meet somebody from another race who is a sociopath. There's a fairly high chance of that. You've only got to meet you know twenty-five people, and on average, you're going to meet one who's a sociopath, and you might meet that one first. 
you might out of those, you know, let, let's say that you meet 25 people, you might meet five who are sociopaths because you might hit a you know, bit of a cluster or whatever. And what we do is we then judge that race by those bad experiences from the ones that we know. That's true. And we say, okay, um, you know, I know somebody of this particular race and they're all liars and thieves and I wouldn't trust them as far as you could kick a post hole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and then from that particular point forward... We tar the entire country with one, one brush. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or we, we, we think, okay, well, you know, people from this part of the world, they're all terrorists. Oh, Lyle, you just got real, didn't you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. And the simple reality is they are not. Yeah. You know, you, the, the stereotypes that we have, and when you travel around the world, what you're going to find is that a lot of those stereotypes are broken down. Some new ones are replaced the ones that are broken down because you sort of think, you know, you look at some things and it's okay, some changes. You have other could experiences. Be, could yeah. be positive. Mm-hmm. But a lot of your stereotypes are broken down and you have, uh, you know, some such positive experiences and interaction. You know, but think of Iran as like one of the safest countries I've ever been in. Yeah, you know, not even the not even the police out on the, on the streets directing traffic. They don't even carry guns. I mean, seriously, it's just. And we have this uh, this whole stereotype of an evil empire. The people on the street are the nicest people you'll ever meet. It's just it's just remarkable. You know, the politicians are what cause the trouble. That's where you find the um, sociopaths. But maybe I shouldn't stereotype politicians either. <laughs> You never know, Lyle. You might meet some nice ones one day. But I think I think this is the point. Um, God created, you know, God intended for there to be unity. And um, when we don't have God in our hearts and we don't have that relationship with Christ, we tend to stuff it up and create disunity. Mm-hmm. And so He wants us to have unity, you know, amongst ourselves and with other people, so we can bring people to Him to create another unity between Him and other people. And so we need to have him in our hearts, otherwise we're just going to mess it up. We're just going to create disunity. We're going to put up walls. We're going to be prejudiced. We're going to tar people with the same brush. It mm-hmm. comes back mm-hmm. to us. It comes back to our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when sometimes we look at this whole issue of immigration and the simple reality is that we are Australians. We love, we love living in the land of the long weekend. Mm-hmm. That's our culture. Yep. Other people come in, they don't have that culture. And so they work harder than us. Oh, they absolutely do. You know, I think we were looking at some stats a couple of months ago. Whereas the um, the the work ethic of religions and the religion in Australia with the highest work ethic, or the religion is putting the most hours, are Hindu people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so this is this is people from India. So Indians are Indians are coming to this country and they're working so much harder than everybody else. They are contributing more to the country than what we are. Now, I support our culture of being the land of the long weekend and I look forward to the day when, you know, Indian people are all, all cotton on today and yeah. actually relax in this country a little it's bit. It's funny because when you said land of the long weekend, I'm like, aren't we due for another one? I feel like we should have another one. <laughs> yes, let's have a long weekend, Mon. Okay, let's do it. Our boss will We'll just take Friday off. <laughs> yeah. We need one. I vote for long weekend. Yeah, me too. Okay, so that's, Motion that's passed. passed. <laughs> Motion passed. Um, and so, you know... It, <laughs> Uh, but you know, and then we complain when they get ahead of us. Yeah, that's the craziest thing. Oh, they're taking all of our jobs. Well, there's a reason why they're taking all of our jobs. They're working harder than us. Yeah. So if you want those jobs, then work hard. That's it. That's you it. know, it's 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 really quite a uh, a, a simple formula, and uh, it's it's when you actually get to know people, and you become friends with people, you recognise that people have different cultures, they have different backgrounds. Um, they think in different ways. They operate in different ways, and those ways are not necessarily wrong. 
You know, they're, they're just different. That's all it is. They're, they're just different. And uh, and we can find people that we, you know, you can be good friends with people from all over the world. And that's a great thing. Message for you this morning. Absolutely. Stay tuned. We have the question of the day coming up next. We're going to be asking, I think we gave it away a bit earlier today. Not that it's a secret or anything, but we're going to be discussing um, how does one die to self? So we had a listener message this in uh, last week, how to die to self. And uh, so we're going to be addressing that. We've got a book giveaway to go with that question. Yes, we have a book giveaway to go with the question. And of course, if you want to ask a question, you can actually get it in now. Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM is 1-800-324-843. Ask us any question you want and uh, we'll answer it for question of the day, which will then go up on YouTube so you can watch it back and uh, have that answer to share.
enjoy fantastic food, fun, friends and fellowship? Sure do. Then join us at the Philos Food Hub. For $5, you can receive a large food pack with free fruit and veggies thrown in and a complimentary breakfast as well. Wow. Where? At the Adventist Church on Newcastle Road, Walls End, number 63. Is that the big iconic A-frame church near the roundabout? Sure is, and it starts 10am every Thursday. Great. I'll see you there. Listening to Francesca Battistelli, Battistelli, something like that. I'll take it. Sounds good. If we're honest, here on Faith FM. And if I'm honest, I really like that song. 
It's a wonderful song. Yes. Okay, so what's our question of the day there, Mon? Question of the day! No clues for the quiz. Quiz is long gone. Got snapped got up on the first. snapped up. Clue. But hey, do you know what? If you go and subscribe to our YouTube channel, we will send you a free copy of Nature's Superfoods, wonderful cookbook. Uh, just be one of the first 100 new subscribers. Lyle. Yes. Question today has come from a listener. Uh, the question is, how do I die to self? That's a really good question. You know, there was a lot of people who were following Jesus one time. Enormous crowds of people following Jesus. And Jesus turned around and said to them, made a most unusual statement to them. <clears throat> he says this. He says, if anyone comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if you've got a very large following, that's probably a good way of getting rid of a very large following. Even unless you hate your family, then you can't be a follower of me. Well, he actually goes on to explain what he means. He doesn't mean that you like, oh, suddenly um, think that your family is vile and terrible and, and, and just hate them. He's describing what it means to be surrendered to Jesus. You see, surrender, when it comes to surrender to God, is a 100% thing. It means that you put God over and above every single other thing that there is in your life. And typically, our family is what is closest to us in our life. You know, there's no one, there's no one closer than our family. And God's coming along. Jesus is saying, unless you love me more than them, unless you are surrendered to me more than them, you cannot be my disciple. The simple reality is this. We are all surrendered. We are all surrendered to something. And at various times, we might be surrendered to this or surrendered to that, but we are always constantly surrendered. The issue is, what is it that we are surrendered to? Mm. Are we surrendered to, say, for instance, pornography, or are we surrendered to uh, computer games, or are we surrendered to, you know, our selfish desires, whatever they might be? I'm, you know, just sort of randomly picking things out here. Uh, whatever, you know, addictions that we might have in our life, or are we surrendered to Jesus Christ? So surrender in the Bible, surrender to Jesus Christ. If we think of surrender, you know, this is when an army gives up. If you think at the end of the Second World War, when the Japanese surrendered, it was an unconditional surrender. And so typically what happens when a nation decides they want to surrender, they'll try and, they'll try and come up with terms of surrender, like, well, we want to, we, we'll surrender, we'll stop the war under these conditions. You know, and even the Japanese tried to negotiate good terms of surrender. And the United States knew that because they owned the atomic bomb, they didn't have to accept any terms. And they just said, no, unconditional surrender, that's it. That's the only terms that we will accept. And those are the only terms that Jesus accepts because you can't serve God and Satan at the same time. You can't have you know a, a, a lot of God and a little bit of Satan over here because you know it's a little bit like being half dead. The Bible describes surrender as death, dying to self, which is our which is our question right here. So surrender and dying to self are actually the same thing. There is no such thing as being half dead. Sometimes you might feel half dead. You might talk about being half dead. You may tell somebody, I can't come into work today because I'm, I'm just feeling half dead. But the simple reality is, if you are half dead, you are 100% alive. Mm. And if you are dead, you are 100% dead. So if we are dead to self, that means we are 100% dead to self. We are 100% alive in Christ by surrendering ourselves to him. And so Jesus tells them, look, you need to go and count the cost. And he talks about, you know, 
um, which if you're intending to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and figure out whether he has enough money to build it uh, unless he gets halfway through and people begin to mock him because he ran out of money. Uh, then he continues on. Um, uh, in verse 33, so likewise he... Whosoever he is of you that forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. And there are two parts to this. In verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me. In verse 27, and he says, whoever comes after me. Surrender is coming to Jesus, giving him your entire life and saying, him, I give you permission over my entire life. Coming after Jesus is following wherever Jesus will take you, staying surrendered. That's what it means to die to self. Thanks, Lyle. If you got a question, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Reggie Smith and Nathan Young with Now Is The Day. You're listening to Faith FM and we are about to give something away. So you need to pick up your phone and you need to dial 1-800-324-843 and get ready to press the send button because we are about to give away a book that is going to be the most powerful book that was ever written on how to die to self, how mm-hmm. to surrender um, yourself to God. 
And uh, yes, this one, uh, th- this book, I don't even know how many. Last, I checked this like back in the 19... 19- Let me think. I used to sell a bunch of these. Uh, back in 1992 to 94, I used to sell these door-to-door. And back then, it was translated into 147 different languages. Wow. One of the most translated books of all time. And our listeners have heard me talk about this. And this literally, is- I would say, I would say easily, you know, probably a billion of these in print. Oh, for sure. Our listeners have heard me talk about this. This is a book that I say that I always read for the first two weeks of every year. So it's 13 chapters and it's basically a step-by-step guide into indeed exactly as Lyle was just explaining how to die to self and how to put God as uh, center and first in your life. Um, so the 13 chapters, I just read a chapter every day and that's the first two weeks of you know the new year. That's my resolution. It sort of sets my yep. year sets, on a good course. Yes, Absolutely. This particular edition actually is my favorite edition. The book is Steps to Christ by uh, E.G. White, and this is the youth edition. It doesn't mean that the, the, the wording's been changed. The wording is still the same. They've added little paragraphs at the end of every chapter, and you'll see them because they're like marked in a special box, where it just tells a little sort of um, modern-day story, uh, gives you some thoughts to consider, and then adds some more Bible verses for you to look up, almost like a mini Bible study for yourself. And I, I love the book and I love the little extra stories. You know, it, tells, it talks about Albert Einstein and some modern science and just um, modifies, uh, modernizes a little bit the entire book. And the youth edition is for everyone. The youth edition. I mean, I'm in my mid-30s and I read the youth edition. <laughs> give us a call now if you'd like a copy of this. We have one to give away. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. And of course, we'll see you tomorrow after 7 o'clock news.